Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Successful Mentalist podcast. My name is Ashley Green. As always, I'm joined by the fantastic co-host that is Aidan O'Sullivan. But as you guys have probably seen, and I don't know why I was going to say, Aidan, who is the special guest today? <laughs> because everyone knows from the title, guys, we do have an incredible, incredible guest on the podcast. This is someone absolutely fantastic and he is going to blow your mind with the advice shared. But heck, just go for it. Aidan, plug away. Who have we got? Tell us some info about him. We have none other than the legendary Drummond Money Coots. Now, we've been fans of Drummond for a long time. And if ever you've seen any of his work on YouTube or with the DMC Elites the, or the Alphas, the playing cards designed by Phil Smith, uh, Drummond is just incredible. He's got a Netflix series out there, eight-part Netflix series called Death by Magic, in which each episode explores uh, acts that have unfortunately died through their stunts and recreates them in an incredible it genuinely is one of my favorite magic shows out there but this episode was really really important because we didn't talk about any of that in fact we actually spoke a lot more about presence and and close-up magic and and the sense of being in the moment and I, it was a really really interesting discussion uh, I, i've personally come away with an awful lot from this on a, both a personal and professional level. So again, I'm, I'm hugely grateful for this opportunity. Oh, and it's not just you, Aidan, that got so much from it. And me as well. Like, I learned so much. And I know you guys listening right now are going to absolutely love it. I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to Drummond for being so open, so honest and up for sharing so much incredible gold and the information that actually goes on within his head. This podcast is going to start a little bit differently from the others, more as a casual chat, and then it's going to get into the meat of the content. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We made a charity DVD. We, we, we raised this money for a school in Kenya. And I remember going there filled, we, we filled our cases with, with so many different uh, tricks and ideas. And then we got there and we realized that without the language, language that we were so used to in England, it suddenly becomes so limited and it becomes far more far more uh, the, the visual essence of what you're doing becomes so much more important and instructions and and explaining things to people and talking for too long you just you you lose people and so that was it was a huge realization back then and realizing that language really is in many parts of the world well it depends it depends where you're performing but but for me then kenya we were east africa language was optional it basically you had to make yourself completely understood in terms of what you were doing without that and that was a really interesting moment because of course in england or in america wherever people perform it's all about language and the presentation and the, what you're saying and your you know your the lines that you write and, and suddenly all of those fall away and it's about gestures and body language and having yourself understood physically so that was something and then since then of course traveling i 
more professionally, it's just, it's always fascinating to me how different cultures will interpret magic in so many different ways. And in the Far East, in general terms, in the Far East, magic has more spiritual connotations. In parts of Africa, it's far darker with witchcraft and voodoo and European countries, Russian countries. You know, I've done, I've done a few Russian, you know, evenings, Russian clients, and it's always so interesting to me. They, they card magic, in my experience, card magic is just of so little interest. And most often, I have people come up to me and ask me to to read their to read their palms. So, so that's always something I have to I have to brush up on because for whatever reason, you bring out a deck of cards, and I've just had this a few times now at Russian evenings where the interest isn't there. And I think specific to that, playing cards is a really interesting point that, again, nobody is more interested or loves playing cards more than magicians. But the truth is, out there in the real world, very few people have handled a deck recently, perhaps years and years, a decade or so since they last sat down, shuffled a deck. They were familiar with the suits, with the number of cards in a in a deck. And that's something that I see more and more. And I, I appreciate more and more the fact that playing cards just, a lot of people are not familiar. A lot of people are just not very interested. And I think it would be as arbitrary to a lot of people as perhaps, you know, if somebody was to do a, a piece of magic for you with a tarot deck, or a German suit of playing cards with their different symbols and, and values. And it would connect yeah. with you. It would connect with them in a, in a similar sort of way. And, you know, that's part of creating the alphas deck, which I'm such a, I'm such a champion of simply because it allows a connection that, that is universal, that goes so far beyond a four of clubs or a, you know, a poker deal or something that just to most people it may perhaps be technically impressive or skillful, but it's certainly not touching or emotional or profoundly magical, you know? So that's something I, you know, I was at the, about two years ago, I went to Budapest and I went to the Harry Houdini Museum in Budapest and we were queuing up to go in and they ask everybody to begin the tour, the tour of the museum. They say, in order to go through this safe and into the museum, how many cards are in a deck of cards because at the end of the tour they then say Houdini died at the same his his age was the same number they sort of bring it all together and I didn't want to I didn't want to say anything I was quite intrigued to see what people would say and there were 25 people there Americans Japanese Europeans Hungarians English people nobody said 52 and there was a there was a very loud woman at the front screaming that it was 50 she knew it was 50 cards in a deck nobody said 52 and that blew my mind that, that out of 20, 25 people, nobody had the answer. And it just, it showed to me how, how unfamiliar so many people are. So I think that's really important for people to remember when they, when they pull out a deck and go deep into a, you know, poker deal or a clever four of clubs. It's just most people no longer have that connection. 40 years ago, it was very different, but today, you know, the number of people who would play cards consistently or regularly is a fraction of what it was. And I think with that comes a slight, slight distance in terms of interest. Yeah, 100%. So 
really i think this is going to be one interesting podcast episode for all of the listeners to be honest because as we were saying just before we started recording today like you've done so many incredible things and and from what we've already heard like the places you've gone the places you've explored and talking about all these various different cultures and the way you've had to adapt in situations do you think it's important to always be prepared to adapt and change when you're in new environments then I think it's everything. I mean, they say there's that quote in life, you know, it's not the strongest that survive, it's those that are most adaptable to change. And I think magically it's exactly the same. Look, if, if you're going to perform in the same, let's say, local bar or the same village hall or the same Las Vegas theater or whatever it is, for 30 years, adaptability is less of a problem. But if you're going to go into a small private evening and then a dinner for 500 people and then a show in France and then for a you know, an evening of Russian clients and you know, whatever it's going to be, adaptability is everything. And I, I, I've, you know, I've been at evenings when a, a magician pulls out what is their set pieces and just it doesn't go over because it works. You know, the, the, the jokes, the pace, the, everything works for people of a similar demographic, but suddenly you're in a different culture, different age, different situation, different location, different everything, lighting and whatever it is. And it's, it's crucial. You know, every time I get to an evening, I'll assess everything and, and, and look at what I have and try to pull out what will connect best and then think about how I'm going to put this across. Is it going to be more upbeat and more quick paced or more calm and more focused and more, perhaps more mystical, you know? So yeah, adaptability is, is everything. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a school of hard knocks. You, you got to get it wrong a few times. And, and culturally, you know, I, I remember an evening years ago when it was an Arabic client and knowing, knowing if you ask for somebody's hand, I was doing a coin routine, knowing that you should ask for the right, for the right hand, not the left hand, because in certain cultures, the left hand is, is not seen as clean. And, and, Things like this are pivotal and, and can you know, break a whole moment for what might be very important people. Having those cultural sensitivities and adapting your material around that and not, I don't know, pulling out a, a condom or whatever bad joke it's gonna be is, is so, so inappropriate, you know? Um, yeah, it's very important. Adaptability really is, is everything. Is there anywhere in particular or anybody in particular that you work with to make sure that your, your material is appropriate for, for the different cultures? Or is... So I've, do you know, I've now I've worked out my core routine that, that goes over pretty much in most situations and I'll adapt. I, I know if like a comedian, you know, when a comedian opens up and they say, Oh, good evening, Miami. And, and they'll make a few opening lines about Miami or whatever's been going on politically lately or, I think that's very important. So particularly if it's a stand-up set, you want to you read your audience, you want to speak to somebody, you want to learn some local phrases. If you're in a foreign country with a, with a foreign language, uh, pick up on all those little details and, and, and weave them in if you can. And um, yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, I think weaving those in is, is very important. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's going above and beyond as well. And I think this is what so many people are lacking. And like we were saying before we started, um, when we was just having a chat before the podcast today, really, we was talking about a lot of people have been forced into doing online shows. 
And that's opened up an opportunity to perform around the world. Obviously, you've been fantastic. And before this, you've been just setting off all everywhere around and around and around doing everything, which is fantastic in and of itself. But now everyone's got this new opportunity to perform wherever. Like I was doing shows the other day. I was doing some in L.A. and then Barcelona the next day, whilst all I've got to do is walk five minutes to my living room. So when you're doing it online, is there any tips that you could maybe give and share and how this applies to the online world then do you know what in truth i've slightly avoided the online stuff i just or rather i haven't embraced it i just um it's i i decided quite early on you know it's been a huge wave and i think very successful for, for a great many people i just figured um for the clients that i have i know that i can't offer a fraction of the connection the intimacy the the sensation of the whole experience through a webcam so I, i've done one or two for, for for very insistent clients but by and large i just i decided i'd ride this out um without really doing it i, I just so much of my material my material depends on having people so engaged with it i i i didn't quite lean into the the zoom wave you know but it's a beautiful thing and i know i know people are doing obviously incredibly well internationally and doing great work you mentioned something uh, a few minutes ago, which I've kind of been pondering a little bit there. Is that you suggested the, that the flexibility, the adaptability that like all three of us are on the same page here. That's the most yeah. important thing to, to do. But in terms of, of writing sets uh, for, like, let's look at close up for, for just a second. In terms of writing close up sets, do you, do you think we should, or should we should just get like a, a compilation of ma- material that we can dip into, or how? So what's I never, your process? I've, yeah, I've never scripted my close-up, and I've I, I take this from Yuri Geller. I remember seeing I invited Yuri to my school when I was about fifteen, and he came down and blew everybody's minds. And the beauty to Yuri is how much he extemporizes and improvises and everything is off the cuff and everything is so raw and authentic and in the moment and something happens and he takes that and runs with it for 10 minutes. And like a brilliant comedian who has that ability to improvise, it makes it feel so much more authentic. And there's nothing I feel less magical than somebody coming out on stage or particularly in an intimate close-up environment where it's so much about the back and forth and just start skimming out lines that are clearly pre-written and not very tailored at all to the moment. I, I know my start point and my finish point. I know that I'll uh, probably finish with this and in the middle, I'll jazz it a little bit, but I, you know, I try to put it on, on the people I'm performing for as much as possible. And, and very often they'll, because the way I work is I'll have a table, people come and they sit down. So my most favorite performance style is to have a large trestle table, beautiful tablecloth, some candles, some flowers, and they I'll have four seats, usually four seats opposite me. And then people come sit down, you'll have four people sat and then around 10 or 15 people standing behind them. So you have this beautiful little mini theater. And in that people sit down and I say, what have you seen? What have you not seen? Have you seen much magic before? What do you really enjoy? Every single time it's completely different. So under the table, I'll have 15 or 20 routines ready to go. And they'll say, oh, I just caught the end of 
the melon or, or the whatever it was, the elephant. And I'll say, okay, great, let's, you know, or, or they'll say, I love mind reading. I once saw a fantastic mind reader. And I'll say, okay, perfect, bring out a book test and, and go that way. So not only the not only the what you're saying, but I think what you're doing should be tailored and 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 almost a response to to what they're looking for, not just ABC every single time. So again, that that seated style is a really good litmus test because what it will invariably happen is the 10 people standing behind will watch a set. Then as the four people stand up and leave, four of those 10 will sit down. Some people leave, some people come, some people, but you're never having a fresh group every single time. So it forces you to be very present and to say, what did you see? What have you not seen? Have you, have you seen this? Did we try this? What do you enjoy? And in that sense, you know, I'll do maybe two or three routines for each set, but each one is completely, um, completely specific to that group. And even the cards, I'll bring out the cards, not know where I'm going to go and, and really run with it. Just, just jazz it up, you know? I'm looking at Aiden right now and he's got a big old grin on his face because he has been saying for years what he does in close-up is exactly the same. He's got an idea when he goes in of, okay, yeah. this is how I'll approach them. And then he changes everything and alters it yeah. for them, for the audience, yeah. for their wants and needs and what he feels right in that moment. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think, I mean, you could draw a parallel to almost anything. You draw a parallel to comedy or um you know flirting and seduction and and um you know car salesman you just can't go out there with set lines because you're going to have a housewife walk in looking for a car one day you're going to have a 17 year old millionaire the next day and then a an old man and his wife two days later and, and the, the, the thought that you could ever go in there with exactly the same approach to try to sell them a car is mad so I think magic is, is just the same. If you truly want to establish that connection above all else, then it has to be tailored to them and, and take into account the energy of the the energy of the moment, the energy of the evening. Is that background, is that upbeat background music? Is it quite slow and mellow? Are you in a slightly quieter part of the party? Is the crowd very rowdy and boisterous? You know, you have to look at all these things and then and then try to 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 match that, you know? Um, that there should never really be one gear for for everybody. So uh, it's just amazing because this is all resonating exactly <laughs> with my thought process. Well, I hope so. But, I hope so. But but this, again, we keep coming back to it in this this idea of of being truly present in this moment to be yeah. able to adapt and be and be there for your audience. If somebody had never done this before and, and has no idea what that even means. Is, are there specific things that you do other than just being aware of everything? I think there's a real confidence in this. And look, this took me a long time to, to get comfortable with. I'm sure when I started, you know, at school, I would be a little bit more blueprinted in terms of what was happening. But the truth is, it's a comfort with other people, much like a conversation. You know, some people are paralyzed when they meet strangers and stick to small talk and awkward platitudes and whatever it's going to be some people can go off piste and off beat and be all kinds of crazy and they're very comfortable in that and i think i think the answer is just to just to do it there is one thing which i would say to to close up workers working from a table and not mix and mingling not going around on your feet is poles apart they are they are so different psychologically and i've been doing this now since i was about 
18, 19, and I, well, it is so rare today. I don't even know the last time I was booked to go somewhere and was walking around. The parallel I draw is between going to a bar and there being someone walking around, let's say a, a shot, a shot girl or a shot boy walking around with shots, you know, a, a strap of tequila shots and a bottle between versus the man at the bar, the woman at the bar with a beautiful big wooden bar. This is their space. They've got all the bottles behind them. It's a far more impressive visual. To me, that's the difference between mingling around, interrupting people mid-conversation, being in their space, invading their space, which is always psychologically difficult. I still, if, if I was forced to do it now, I would still find it very uncomfortable. People are, people are having you know, business talks. People are catching up. They haven't seen each other for seven years. They're flirting. They're all kinds of things. To walk in there with a deck of cards and interrupt all of that and say, do you want to see magic is, is forever to me, one of the most awkward things in the world. Whereas when you have a table and you arrive at the party an hour or two hours early, you set up the table somewhere very central, somewhere very striking. You have some beautiful, I have a framed picture so people know that I'm a magician. I'm not there, you know, reading tarot, whatever it is. I make sure it's somewhere very central, beautiful tablecloth, nice smart chairs. The psychology of that means people are then coming to you they sit down and suddenly they'll, you know, the first few couples, the groups, they'll come up, they say, oh, can we, can we sit down? And suddenly they're asking you and you say, of course, please sit down. Can we get you a drink? Are you comfortable? How is your evening? How do you know the, the hostess? What's this? What's this? And suddenly they're in your space and you thank them for that and you reward them for that. And the difference psychologically in terms of comfort between that and sort of piercing into a group of men or women or whatever it is and trying to establish yourself within the first 30 seconds it's oh i'm sorry two seconds it's room service the, the difference right. between those the difference between those two things I, I cannot overemphasize how much more powerful it is to to be sat at a table it's so much more impressive you can have like i say 15 people standing around um you're not just doing you know four men and women in the corner of the room you are as i say the man behind the bar you are the main you are one of the main events if the party allows it and there's budget you speak to the organizer you go to the venue a few weeks before you say can i have flowers here can we rope off this little area can we can we make this visual as striking as possible so people walk into the party they see you over there surrounded by people having a good time and they go okay magician he's clearly a magician doing really well and you know, in terms of psychology, it's a different world. In terms of the magic possible, it's a different world. The lapping opportunities, you can have all of your props under the table. You're not bulging with props in every pocket and your suit is looking terrible with 15 decks of cards. You have everything under the table. Um, you know, I, I finish every evening. Of, of my, my sort of set piece to finish is very often the melon, you know, the Max Molini under the hat. And it's just the best thing in the world. And surrounded by 20, 25 people and the host and the hostess are sitting up front. It's the best thing in the world. And it, it allows for so much more magic, so many more techniques, so many more props, It's so much more striking. And as I say, psychologically, they're in your space. And in that situation, you, it's just naturally more comfortable. You can, you can be more, I can find myself be far more relaxed. And if you told me to go downstairs now to the hotel lobby, 
and walk up to a group of people and force myself on them and start doing magic, I would, I'm sure, revert back to my 17-year-old gangly awkward self, you know? So I, I would say if, if, if people listening have never tried that, the way to do it is to speak to a client. You say, look, you know, if it's a drinks reception or after dinner or whatever it is, um, look, I, I'd love to try this. I do this. I do this quite often. You set up the table. You promise them if nobody comes and visits me, I'll walk around the room. This is how I used to start. I say, I promise you, if nobody's here after 10 minutes, I'll walk around the room and do it. But I promise you, this is so much better. You set up the table, you set up the flowers, you set up the candles, whatever it is. People come to you, obviously, within 10 minutes. And once you're rolling, it's nonstop. I can do, I did eight hours once. I was at an Oxford University uh, summer ball and I did this for eight hours. I had bottles of water on this side. I had Mars bars under the table on this side and I literally did not stop for eight hours. And if you can then get photos taken, you have a photographer standing to your left so or right, but slightly behind you. So they get a profile of you and the wall of faces. And if you say to the photographer, just wait until something amazing happens and then just machine gun the button, you'll get some unbelievable photos of 25 faces with their mouths wide open. And then every single gig you do after that, you send that to the client or the event organizer and you say, this is how I work. And I, I just, I promise you, you are so much more valuable than like I say, the shot glass equivalent, which is going around doing little tricks out of your pocket. It's, it's just, it's a whole different world. So I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd really urge people to, to try that. I love that shot glass analogy. And I also think it goes down to that thing of like, when you're there and you've created that special space, people are coming up to you, they're investing their time there. They're now interested in you before you've actually even said anything. So already it's just so much easier. And I've, I've seen a few people do this and I know magicians know about this style of stuff with sitting down at a table at an event, but still no one does it still people revert back to just walk around close up and you've literally outlined why it can be so much better and so much more beneficial and especially for you and all the positives you you've said about this do you think there's a reason why people always revert back to what they know in the same old of just walking uh, around and i guess i guess it's what people are used to and it, again it's what you know a lot of us grow up watching walk around magicians and whatever but there's just no question. There is no question. You are a far more valuable asset. You're a far more striking visual in the middle of the party. I'll, if it's a drinks reception, I will, I will set up. As you walk into the room, I'll make sure I'm one of the first things you see. And I'll say, can we have soft ambient lighting? You don't want harsh shadows. You don't want heavy, heavy shadows on the table. Soft lighting. As I say, we'll, I'll rope off, get a, a red rope around the side of the table so no one creeps around behind me. I'll have beautiful flowers, maybe floor standing flowers either side of the table, whatever it's going to be. It looks so beautiful and magical. And if there's space for a backdrop, you know, it can be a red velvet backdrop, whatever it's going to be. It's just, you're, you're so much more of an asset to that evening than, like I say, running around with your pockets bulging. And I, I don't know why more people don't do this. It's, it's obviously not for every evening, you know, some, some, events they just say look we need you to go around at dinner which you know to me interrupting people literally mid mouthful and trying to crane over their shoulders when everybody's squeezed together and and you have to clear space on the table and you're dropping you know it's just to me it's so clumsy and I, I feel it does you a disservice by being the little insert between courses when actually you go look I'm going to do an hour at the drinks reception 
as soon as people break for dancing or as soon as dinner's finished, I'll go happily do another hour or two after dinner. And it's an attraction. It's you'll, you'll literally be, if you do it right, you'll be the focus of the party. People will come over to you. They'll drag their husbands and wives over. They'll say, oh, my wife saw this. I'm so glad you're still here. And please, could you do this? And, and it, it is just, I cannot put across to people how much more exciting, more powerful, more impactful, more visual this style is. So if anybody wants to reach out, I can, I can send pictures. I can, I, can, I can tell you more about it. But effectively, you ask the client for, or the event organizer for, a six-foot trestle table, five chairs, very as smart as possible, and a and a heavy thick tablecloth, black or white normally, and and that's it. Like I say, a few silver-framed photographs, nice, powerful profile, magical pictures, you know, eight ten inches tall either side of the table. Um, I have a brass nameplate, like a Toblerone brass nameplate that I used to have at the front of the table, which has an inbuilt reveal. So there's a brass nameplate on one side and then a brass nameplate on another side. Nigel Mead taught me that, gave me this years ago. We were doing a job in Azerbaijan and he and I, I had this brass nameplate and he said, you know what, you should, you should do this. And it's a, it's a beautiful trick. So it's a three-sided Toblerone wooden block with a brass nameplate on one side. And it would say, I still have it somewhere, Drum and Money Coots, Close Quarter Magician and Card Shark. And I show that to everybody and I set it aside. I shuffle the cards, I have somebody choose a card. And as I move the wooden block out of the way to, spread, to ribbon spread the cards and show them all different, I just rotate it, I turn it. So the existing brass face is now on the table, touching the table, and the other brass face is now facing outwards. So in, a, in this sort of sweeping gesture, I rotate the wooden block. I show the cards as all different. I say, what was your card? And they say the eight of hearts. And I say, if you look very, very carefully at the engraving and they look across and it says drum and money coots. And the second line says the, something like the, cho you, you, the chosen card is the eight of hearts or whatever it is. And it's just a beautiful little establisher. But, you know, these, a few little things on the table make it look a little bit more interesting. You're not just sat there at a blank, you know, blank tablecloth. It can be a nameplate. It can be photos in, in really, you know, striking silver frames, flowers, candles, whatever it's going to be but just there's an ambience to it. You know, you're not just sat there with a deck of cards at a white tablecloth. There's, there's a, if you can, a backdrop, some lighting, anything that just makes it look and feel a little bit more enticing, you know? So, so as I say, if anybody wants to reach out, by all means, um, send me a message on, on whatever and I, I can send you some pictures. I, I, I would wish for more magicians to do this because it's just... You, you go from such a side distraction at a party to literally the main event and everybody talks about you forever. And it's just, yeah, as I say, the impact is, is just, they can't be compared at all. I'll admit I've, I've tried this approach once. How did it go? I, I did it. It was a game changer. It, right. it was, and I'm right. not saying that because we're sat here having this conversation, it was so different. So for, for context, rather than being uh, in a specific area where everybody could see, I was actually, there was another little bar in this, it was a wedding venue and there was like another little secret bar up at the, up at the top. So that right. in and of itself was interesting, right. but I right. had a little corner up there and right. I, I went down to the main bar to go and get a glass of water, brought some people up with me. And because then yeah. the secret bar was suddenly popular news, yeah. 
but not just a secret bar. It was the magician's secret bar. And suddenly yeah, there was people. Come, it was amazing. Oh, that's it. That's it. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. And you want to be a little bit careful. I've definitely done evenings in the past where you can be too secluded. So again, you know, as best you can try to be visible, but you know, as I say, if you can only do if to anyone listening, if you can do one of these gigs, obviously if the, if the evening allows for it, if you can do one of these and get a handful of good photos, you then put that into a PDF, you put that into your, whatever you send a, a new client, you go, look, this is what I do. This is how I work. And I've never had anybody query me and say, no, I'd, I prefer you actually to do, you know, to do this. And, and more than that, the people that see you at an event at an evening do this, then book you because they've never seen anything like this. So it, it once, once, if you can only do it once, if you can only convince that first client to allow you to set up the table, you assure them if nothing, you know, if it doesn't happen, if, if they push back, you say, look, if it doesn't happen, I can go around, but I promise you, this is, this is so much better. You get those photos and then you're away. And I, as I say, I haven't done walk around for, for years and I don't know, 10, 12 years. And, and this, this whole format is just, it's a, it's an animal. It's a monster. I guess to answer that, that point that rather than just being there to, to go and do some magic and do some magic tricks at a party or an event, you're there, it's a moment and you're building up the stories and I'm obsessed with trying to to find the best way to, and I always, I, I got fed up with audiences that have seen me like either a couple of weeks or a year before they recognized me and said, oh, I remember when you did X, Y, and they're just the right. stories that they were telling me, I loved that they remembered I, I didn't love that they remembered the bits that they had remembered. I wanted the stories that they had to be slightly different and, yeah. and remember the event yeah. and their feelings of the event, not just the cool card trick that I yeah. ended up doing. Yeah. 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 No, that'll happen. I mean, for me, for me, the melon, people see me 10 years later and they go, Oh, the melon, can you do the melon? Can you do this? And it's just what it is. You know, people remember what they remember, but it, you know, to be remembered is, is a great, is a great joy. So, you know, whatever that is whatever that memory is i think as well what you've been saying all throughout this about how you approach entertainment at events and how you make this this special kind of scene and, and a real environment and feel for people it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning surely like with you going around and doing all of these events in different cultures for various different people surely this style was much more suited to them because it's harder to go up to various different people who might be goodness knows from wherever. And you're like, okay, but instead they come into you and now they're in your zone rather than you in them totally. in their zone. Totally. No, it's, it's, you know, it's just when you allow your brain to start thinking about the lapping possibilities, you, you know, you take the cards out of the box, you lap the box and give it to someone and have it vanish. And within four and a half seconds, you've already done something completely mind blowing. Um, you know, productions under the table, you can the props that you use you could you could you could be doing god knows what with with enormous props it's um yeah i i've i feel like i've i've sold it but it's, it's the possibilities to, to performing like this and the impact it has on the evening as opposed to just tiptoeing around nervously or or gregariously you know um interrupting people mid-conversation mid-dinner mid-whatever it's it's just yeah, so it's a whole different thing. To to play devil's advocate, we yes. I mean, I'm on the same page here, and I think this is genuinely the new way. I'm, I don't think I'm going to 
because I, I, I didn't resonate. I'm one of the people that we're talking about here that doesn't like the, the interrupting people. But I, I'm, I'm really curious, has there ever been a time where this approach hasn't either, I, I don't want to say hasn't worked because that's not what I mean, but has there ever been a time where this kind of approach has brought a, a problem that you, or an unexpected incident? Yes. So there's certainly a few, I think early days I learned, I I learned to be very visible. I I definitely early on would probably do an evening and, and perhaps didn't insist enough that I'd be somewhere very central. So you're in a quiet corner and you're just not very busy. So you'd end up going around the part the, the, the evening or, you know, I've done some evenings where maybe it's so thick with people, you don't have that movement within the room. So the people within earshot know about you, but if there isn't, constant traffic and footfall and people moving around the evening then that can be a challenge so the, the few situations but but almost always and again the more it, it's unbelievable how much you do three or four groups you've then broken the back of it and people will literally go across the party grab their best friend say you've got to come and see this you've got to come and see this they'll grab their wife they'll grab whatever and they'll bring them back and then literally they're coming to you and as I say, psychologically, it's just, it's wonderful. You don't have that, that awkwardness or, or, or whatever. So um, I, I don't think there's been a situation where I've thought, I wish, I wish I'm, I was walking around or, or whatever. It's, yeah, it's very hard to find reasons not to, to do this. It's so outweighed by the positives. Hi guys, it's Ashley here. I just want to quickly interrupt this podcast just to say one little thing. If you do enjoy the podcast that we are currently putting out at The Successful Mentalist, uh, do us a favour and make sure to subscribe. It will honestly help us out, it will mean the world, it will help with our stats and rankings which mean that we're then shown to more magicians and mentalists around the world and we want to try and help as many people as possible with these podcasts. So honestly, if you could subscribe, it would mean the absolute world to us. Anyway... Back to the podcast. I love this. I love it because this is fitting literally my but And, and again, I'm, I'm asking questions purely for my own point here. Because no, no, this please. is definitely something that I, I'd, I'd love to go and do more. But when I'm performing, I, I've, I've got quite a, a, a bubbly energy. I, I've described myself previously as a Tasmanian devil in a three-piece. Right. But when I when boiling that down from a stage situation, I mean, on stage, that's a different situation like that fits wonderfully. But in close up, it was, it's kind of been tough. And I think that's why I've not gelled with it. But then if I, if I was to take this leap and put it all the way to just I'm now sat in one place for an evening. I don't I don't think I'm going to get the same sort of energy levels that I usually would. I mean, it's going to be a different style of performance. in theory. No, So this is very important. I think this is very important. Um, I think characters slightly more slightly louder characters slightly more shaped characters works very well on stage right you want to be something a little bit unusual a little bit offbeat whatever that might be in close-up magic intimate close-up interactive magic i think it i think it does a disservice to be strange and kooky and offbeat you just need to connect with people and if, if you're too weird and zany people can't really get a handle on you and, and really in close-up magic they should be maybe speaking just as much as you this isn't this isn't people sat static watching you and listening to you you you're asking them questions you're involving them in the magic you're bringing them into your world 
you're involving them as much as you can. And I think in that, to have what feels like or what can feel like quite a hokey character, which can work brilliantly on stage, I don't think, I, I don't feel works as well. The, the very greatest thing you can be for close-up magic, you know, at a table is, for me, per, personable, authentic, genuine, charming, you know, can I help you? Can we get you a drink? Would you like anything? Have you, all those things, which if you're, if you're flying above them with all kinds of strange weirdness and overly bubbly energy, I think it, it's hard to connect. Sometimes you'll get a group who are just full steam mad and bananas and they're on a, they're on a mission and they're all three drinks in and they're having a great time. And you can, you can raise yourself to that level of energy, but you know, a lot of the time you'll have a husband and wife or you'll have the host and the hostess, or you'll have a mixed group, maybe with somewhat slightly older, older somebody whatever it might be and and it's about connecting with them again just like salespeople. Salespeople talk about mirroring mirroring the energy of the person that you're you're trying to establish that rapport with and going in with one gear that can work on stage but i i with the the um the degree to which close-up magic is so much more interactive and hinges on the, the give and take of the conversation and what's going back and forth between you and your audience. I just think actually you want to be the truest, most charming, most engaging form of you and nothing too structured, too managed, too, too tight. You know, it's just be loose, be engaging, be welcoming, be friendly, be, you know, mindful of, of everything. And, and I think that in my experience has led to the, the greatest success in the close-up situation. Well, it goes back to something which I'm so glad you you brought it up. And I was going to mention the Johari window and actually mirroring, kind of mirroring, mirroring what the uh, the audience is kind of putting out there. And so you're kind of at those same energy levels mm. going throughout. But you mentioned something about sharing humanity, sharing yourself within the performance, and so often they're not. Magicians kind of hide behind the tricks, either because they think that the the tricks are important, they they forget about themselves that they're actually there to see you yeah. and your amazing stories and hear about you and, and and all of that. Do you have any advice for maybe those people who are thinking, okay, this is this is brilliant, drum, and what you shared is absolutely mind shattering <laughs> gold, and now they're thinking, okay. I want to be a bit more human. I, I want to share myself instead of just hiding behind the tricks. And how would they go about doing that, do you think? Oh, you really break it down. There's a few things. It's a very good question. I would, so for example, when I left university, I went full, full tilt professional and was as busy as I could be and did every party that came in. And I think my first Christmas, I did 23 dates in December before Christmas Day. And it was just back to back to back. And I know that by the, whatever it was, 20th, 21st of December, I literally had exhaustion medicine and flu medicine under the table and I was on complete autopilot. And the magic that I was doing was on complete autopilot because I was just routinely going through the routines that I that I had done literally every single day for the last three weeks. What I then did, which I tried to do back then when, when, when it was, I was, far more frequently performing, you know, as many, as many times I could 
I very consciously would always take myself to India in January and I would always go back and I'd put the magic down and I'd go traveling. And I, and I felt like in those London Christmas parties and going from crazy party to crazy party, I'd, I'd lose a sense of reality and, and you just become this autopilot magic monkey and, and actually to go to India and completely reset and that internal barometer of life and everything and to rest and to recoup and to come back with a fresh energy for me that was india i think for, for many, many people this could just be time out and actually stepping away from the magic i i think clinging to six to ten routines that you do word for word every single time is no more useful than it is to go to a gym and do exactly the same thing for years and years on end you have to keep it fresh you have to adapt and develop according to you, according to your situation. For me, I step away from magic very often. You know, I'm deaf, I'm not performing every single week. I will happily go to India or go wherever it's going to be and not think about magic. And it, there is almost never a moment when I, when, when I do come back to magic, I'm not the better for it in some way. And the flip side, if I find myself doing far too much magic back to back to back, I'll just, it's very hard not to click into this sort of autopilot and you see it. I've seen magicians, Vegas or whatever it's going to be, you go and they are just going through the motions. And I was told by someone, there's a prominent magician in Las Vegas who literally will present a trick, turn around, flick his mic off, order dinner, flick around and start the next trick. And it's complete autopilot. And and you can see how that's that's difficult in terms of then trying to establish a genuine sincere authentic present connection so you know to people who perhaps find themselves stuck in that in that you know um the ruts of the same tricks the same lines the best thing you can do is probably throw it all out of the window and try to find a few new pieces a completely different approach um try something completely different, you know, just as, just as, as I say, in personal fitness, you know, go cycling, go swimming, go running, go weightlifting, go skipping, go whatever it's going to be doing the same 10 mile cycle every single day, you're going to plateau very quickly. And, and it's important to keep all of these things as fresh as possible. So what we we're running with here is kind of preventing, it's almost like burnout prevention from being a, a, a magic addict if you like yeah yeah, yeah. In, in a way that's going to allow us to foster better presence when we're performing and, and creativity do you think creativity will come into it as well in, in terms so. of stepping away yeah i think yeah. it's just a fresh a fresh approach a more human approach this is you know to me india just fills my soul in so many ways and i wherever i go after india i find myself so much more enriched and present and as i say if i'm running around doing gig after gig back in the day, I would feel the opposite of that. And like I say, this, you know, this sort of 23 day burnout, it absolutely would be a creative, spiritual, personal burnout. So, you know, stepping back, I think is important. I think I've never been too closely wedded to the magic community and, and studying what everybody else is doing. I think that's very important. If, you know, if you're too close to something, you can't help but have it rub off on you and you will be a, slightly homogenous version of your 10 favorite magicians that you watch all the time. And, I, you know, if you look at the strangest 
most unique performers, many of them to some degree keep a distance. You, you want to look at your, you know, your Lennox Greens, your, your René Lavande, your whoever it's going to be. They come from such a, one of my favorite magicians in the world was Del Rey, who never famously never hung out with magicians, would very rarely go to conventions. He just did his thing. And there are some videos online people can look up if they don't know about him, Del Rey, D-E-L-R-A-Y. And he was so phenomenal and American, very engaging, very funny, very present. And I'm sure that was a part of it. You know, he wasn't too rounded by obsessing and keeping track of everything in the magic world and this person, this latest thing and being, yeah, rounded by obsessing over the magic world. I think a, a certain distance and finding you and allowing you to bubble up is is crucial. So, um, you know, when I was a teenager at school, I was on all the forums and I was deeply plugged into the magic world, but I... I am far less now, you know, I have a great many friends in, in the world, but I, I definitely don't. I go to a, not very many conventions. I don't obsess or orbit my mind around the latest goings on or the dramas or the whatever it is, you know, I try to keep a distance and then I find my magic is just more, more me, more fresh, more, more authentic, you know? Well, I hear about, you being present and focusing so much like what we've spoken about today is is with all of the the things you're going around doing with the way you address adjust your shows you do everything for the audience and you do it so you can be present in the moment that's that's a lot of what i i feel from what you've said today mm -hmm. but also you say the importance of kind of taking a step back taking that time for yourself as well and that leads me to a question obviously you've said about taking breaks taking time off so as Aiden said you don't kind of hit that burnout but do you have any kind of like meditation or mindfulness practices that you use and to actually help with obviously your performances or or help with stopping hitting that burnout yeah so I I I don't meditate as such I read a lot around this I listen to a lot around this I speak and I'm close to a lot of people around all of this I don't sit for a given period each day or or every couple of days I I guess the biggest thing for me is I just I don't fill my head with I, social media for me is a one-way street I, I heard Joe Rogan talk about posting and ghosting so he literally uploads and he goes and he doesn't sit and scan and pour through everything and you know Facebook and all of these things this deluge of constant traffic and brain noise that you know we can each of us can fill our heads with bbc news the daily mail facebook twitter instagram you've, you've woken up for 10 minutes and you filled your head with 73 different stories and i sort of take the opposite approach i try to keep my head as as many ways as empty as possible you know i will i will absolutely focus on things that are relevant and pertinent and important and keep abreast of what what matters but i i just try to keep myself on a mental diet of what is important and not this you know just i think back to university and the the things that we filled our heads with that just you see it now it reflected in statistics and and all kinds of awful stories um 
keeping a distance and keeping keeping space for yourself and and people around you and your your work and and not just cramming your head with this fast food of everything i think is very very important and and if you can allow yourself the space to do that i think meditation becomes less necessary you know um if if you live a very manic life perhaps with children or a very manic job or whatever it is then yes i think meditation perhaps would become more important to, to really carve out time to allow that to fall through you but in my life as i i try as best i can just to not allow all that superfluous noise to to get in there in the first place you know and then in that you find a presence and you can your brain isn't flicking back to something from yesterday or throwing forwards to something you're fretting about next week or next month or whatever you know you're just you can be far more rooted in in the now uh, it's just <laughs> I, I just I, this because this is on a on a sort of personal level this is where i'm at now i've i've i'm at the point that i've my head is full Right. probably even overflowing right. with things right and i'm I, I i know i can see this there this empty head for for lack of a better description but i, I can see that and that's what I'm, I'm trying to move towards and obviously then we've got the necessary uh, or the unnecessary evils like the social media that we've just spoken about but right. how do how would one say in this messy mind approach carve out what really matters and find that path it's a really good question i i um there's, there's a few things there's a really i remember reading this years ago that's in one of the sherlock holmes books there's a moment when dr watson suddenly realizes i think i think this is right this was many years ago there's a moment when dr watson realizes that sherlock holmes doesn't know if the moon goes around the earth it's something like this it's a very fundamental scientific understanding that watson can't believe sherlock holmes this great man of intelligence doesn't know and sherlock holmes's answer is something along the lines of i fill my head with nothing but that which serves my immediate purpose right so whether the moon goes around the earth is not important to him on a daily basis it's not going to change his life it's not going to help him solve this next great riddle or crime or whatever it is um there are limits to this now you it's important to fill our heads with certain important facts and figures and and current affairs to a degree but it would be i think the equivalent of a a bad physical diet right we, most of us are living very poor mental and emotional diets as a complete result of filling our heads with just the most emotive damaging dangerous headlines and just all kinds of photos and friends and people that we're not perhaps very close to at all perhaps don't even like we're still following looking at all their holiday pictures and you know all, all these things that that it's like 10 big macs to the brain every single day and it's not easy to come out of that right you can't go from 10 big macs a day to a quinoa salad it you know you need to you need to grade down the ladder you need to you need to you know perhaps initially just I, I don't follow people on Instagram. I don't, I, I, every now and then I'll, I'll look up some friends or somebody I, I'm into and I'll, and I'll look through their posts. Um, Facebook, I'm never on Facebook. I'm on YouTube a little bit, but I, I just weaned out, I weeded out all of these, these noises, these loud noises that just didn't, didn't, as it comes back to Sherlock Holmes, didn't 
serve my immediate purpose. And I think all of us can look at ourselves and there'll be shades of gray for everybody, but all of us can look at, do I really need to scan Twitter and see people screaming at each other about the most trivial, whatever it's gonna be? Do I need to look at news websites and have my head filled with people screaming at each other and knowing that I can do nothing about it? Do I need to follow people on social media that I haven't seen for seven years, never really were particularly close to or even liked in the first place? Do I need to orbit around every latest magical happening in the world? Is that actually going to affect the magic that I do, my business, my routines? You know, it's it's just slowly, you know, much like coming off drugs or, as I say, a bad diet, Diet Coke or whatever it's going to be, coming down slowly and just closing these doors to all of this noise and this you know, these antagonizing thoughts that just so quickly turn our brains into these sort of thorn bushes of thoughts. If you can just push all that away, be following the people that you adore, who inspire you, who, who motivate you to, you know, socially, you know, I used to be, I used to be so much busier. Now I, I have my, whatever it's going to be, dozen or so, few dozen people, you know, Mumbai, probably a dozen people here that I adore, but I socially, I don't fill my diary with coffee dates and lunches and just sort of manically doing as much as possible. Um, I think in all of these spaces, there's a lot to be said for, for less is more. And, and maybe even professionally doing fewer gigs, but doing them to a level that you're your very best self. You're not just taking every gig that comes in because, you know, there's something to be said for going to a gig and not it not being right. And, that not helping you at all that can dent your confidence it can close doors in the future that event organizer says oh actually yeah that didn't go over very well he wasn't very good at that and suddenly you're you'll never be called up again so you know i i think just just filtering out a lot of things um for, for so much of life is 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 pivotal and i think it was who said this um, so i think it was a buddhist somewhere who said it's not about getting more it's about wanting less being happy with less and i think if we can all do that it just leaves that space to be calm and at peace and not always looking left and right and what are they doing how much is he making and oh you know all this sort of sort of stuff you just focus on you study and fill your head with the things that serve your immediate purpose your health your family, your friends, your immediate future, but go easy on the on the noise, the fast food, the social media candy, you know? Sorry, there's a lot there. That was a that was a rant. Half rant. Perfect. <laughs> that's literally what I needed to hear based on that. Yeah, that's gonna take some process and power. That's Right, yeah, it's probably a rewind on that. Somewhere. Good. This is, this is this is what I do. This is what I do magically. You, you, if you give me a little, little rope, I will run. So by all means, rein me in. This is absolutely beautiful. And I think this is what our audience needs to hear more now than ever. And there's been something myself and Ayn, Ayn, Aiden, it's slow my words or podcast, myself and Aiden have been saying all the time when we set up TSM, when we have our students and it goes back to the thing of time is our most valuable asset. We've always got that in the back of our mind. And 
we'd rather focus it on the things we we love and the things we enjoy and you've taken that but you've evolved on it so much more and taken it in brand new directions which is just fantastic so i just want to honestly say thank you so much for being so open so honest and sharing so much valuable valuable gold on this podcast and very very quickly where where can people find you where can they find all the (laughs) well as part of what i've just said i'm not i'm certainly not the most active on so i should be much better but i um instagram now and then uh, everything is at is dmc magic so uh youtube in fact youtube i i started putting up a few videos uh which were great fun over the summer um when we were allowed to socialize with people so in fact talking talking about all of this that you'll you'll see that if you go to my youtube it's just dm it's youtube.com slash dmc magic um you'll see what I'm talking about and so many moments, little organic moments that happen in these takes. I just run with them and turn them into little bits and somebody offers a slight tangent and I'll go down that path. And, and, and I'm sat at the table. It was only each group was only two or three people, but you'll see what I mean that I, I'm not ripping through a script. I'm not, you know, I'm, it's very unstructured. Again, going back to Yuri Geller, it's, I know I'm going to start here and finish here, but in the middle I'm going wherever they want to go. Um, so that that could be of interest to some people um but yeah mostly mostly if people want to reach out uh dmc magic on instagram i'm happy to help out and yeah youtube a, a few things now and then but i'm i'm yeah from what i just said i'm i'm not i'm certainly not super plugged in to all of this that is absolutely brilliant and uh no I just want to say massive, massive thank you for uh, for taking the time to come here today. And uh, and like I said, just be so open and honest. Thank you, chaps. Thank you. It was great to see you. I mean, as I said in the episode in and of itself, I got so much from this. Uh, the conversation took very different turns in terms of actually being better at, at magic just by being present in the moment and being able to look at life overall and the less is more approach and, and Drummond's philosophy. Like for me, there was an awful lot in this. I, I really valued this episode um, on a, on that personal level. So again, I'm going to throw a huge thanks out to everybody that's uh, supporting the podcast and, and for Drummond more importantly for coming on and having this conversation with us. Yeah, no, it really was fantastic. And I just want to say that is still not it. There's a little bit more to come, a little bonus clip of what Drummond actually shared. So we're going to play that in just a second for you guys. And I just want to say, if this is the first time of you listening to the Successful Mentalist podcast, then do consider hitting the subscribe button so you'll hear about all of the other wonderful podcasts that we're putting out there. And if you have been listening to all of the previous episodes, share your feedback in the reviews below. It will be so lovely to see those just down below this podcast. But without further ado, let's jump into the little bonus clip right now that Drummond shared right at the very, very end. It's just it's just something that I made with Phil, and this is something we've been very conscious of in keeping with everything I've talked about, which is the alphas, the D- DMC alphas, which is this letter deck, which just, in terms of connecting with people, allows you to, you know, be at pre-show or just the name of somebody present. 52 cards, they're all letters. You have somebody shuffle the cards, deal random piles, whatever it's going to be, cam coincidencia or some sort of variation on that. And suddenly they're looking down at the name of their child or the name of their father or their husband or their girlfriend, whatever it is. In line with all of this, finding connection with people, um, I would just, I would love people to try this because 
you know, Phil knows, I know, you guys know, you play with this. People are in tears, not infrequently when I, when I do these routines, if I do my pre-show or my research well enough and I find a piece of information that they, they know, supposedly that I don't know, the name of their child, the name of whatever it's going to be, and reveal that to them. There you go. There you go. It's a whole different beast. And, and actually on my YouTube, there's a few videos of me. Uh, there's a routine called Hands Off, and there's a routine called The Goose Chase. And if people look those up, they'll see what I mean. It just hits people in a, in a far more, you know, it's effectively a four ace routine or a poker deal routine, but instead of a royal flush that no one really connects with, it's the name of their child. And, and that connection, I've been rebooked off this deck alone countless times because it just touches, it truly touches people. And if you, like I said, if you can do a little bit of research either at the party or before the party or whatever it is, get the name of somebody important. And at the end of the routine, you say, what is the name of your, let's say your youngest child. And they say, it's Lucy. And then you say, would you turn over those cards one by one? And they turn over L-U-C-Y and it just, it blows people away. So it just, I, that's, I realize that sounds like a plug, but it's not. It's just, it's just that this deck embodies my philosophy of magic in so many ways and establishing that true connection with people beyond just something being a trick and impossible. It emotionally resonates with them in a completely different way. So if people haven't tried that, by all means, just even just watch the videos, as I say on YouTube, Goose Chase and Hands Off, they're just very personal, powerful routines. You agree. It genuinely the alphas as soon as as soon as they were first released, it was like, yep, <laughs> that's gonna be a, a definite investment. Yeah, they're so good, thing. so useful. Yeah. It makes oh, it more fun. personal, exactly as you say, because and especially like you were saying with different cultures going around, like not yeah. every culture knows playing cards, and oh. it, well, I mean, not every culture knows how to read uh, these alphabet, but if they do, then it just changes that dynamic completely. Well, I had a, I had a, put it this way, I had a Middle Eastern client uh, beginning of last year, just before lockdown, and I was in the Middle East, and I started with very basic. I shuffled the cards. They were taking the cards and mixing them, and we ended up with with a pile, a few piles on the table, and it was the name of the the main uh, gentleman's wife, who obviously was sat right next to him, and I cannot tell you the the wave of emotion that went through the group was so palpable and so powerful. And they were so touched that it was her name. It was very respectful. It really resonated. Um, as I say, I've had people well up and be in tears a number of times with this deck. I, I did something for Rolls Royce about two years ago. And there was this older gentleman and he had a much younger girlfriend who I'm not sure was a, I'm not sure it was a long-term situation. And, she was on her phone. She was kind of sat on her phone, whatever. And, and I was I was doing something for him. I actually was walking around, interestingly. That was one of the few. I was walking around. I was talking to him. I was doing some things for him. And mid-routine, one of the um, staff came up and gave him his plasma for dinner, the little envelope that has their seating arrangement in it, right? It was a little envelope, beautiful writing on the front of the envelope. And... It said, I forget what his name was, but the girl's name was Dina, right? D-W-E-N-A. And he took it from the, from the chap and he put it in his inside jacket pocket. But as he's putting it in there, 
I just glimpsed. It was like half a second. It said his name, whatever it was, and Dina. And I just figured, obviously, that's her name, right? She hadn't introduced herself. She'd barely looked up. She'd been sat there on her phone the whole way through. He was completely charming. And so I took out the alphas. I stacked up Dina. I did the routine. And I swear to you, this man came up to me five times. Through. He knew she maybe had been you know, invited that day. There is no way I could have known her name. She never introduced herself, blah, blah, blah. And that little, that little added layer of impossibility just blew his mind. He couldn't believe it. He was in his probably late sixties and he hounded me like a, like a kid the whole evening. And it was just so demonstrative of how, how much more that resonates and touches and connects with people than, you know, four queens or four aces or whatever it is um so just yeah have a have a play have a play it's it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing yeah i remember actually going back to blackpool um uh beginning of last year right you was doing the same thing there when you had crowds of magicians just swamping obviously you had crowds of magicians because you got a blooming netflix series yeah, which yeah, you yeah. Watch. but still yeah crowds of magicians watching like that exact thing though captivated by it well you know what phil phil does really this is i didn't know if i should be tipping this but what phil does phil often has take this out of the recording Aiden. <laughs> no no it's fine he I, I mean it's it's um it's it's tipping a bit but you can appreciate this is the genius of phil so phil will often have someone else on his stand just helping out and whatever and they have an arrangement whereby if a, if a gentleman or a lady walks up he'll get phil will start chatting and get their name and then the guy, whoever's next door to Phil, will just stack up that name, put the cards back in the box and just leave the box next to Phil. Phil chats for a bit and then picks up the deck and will go, I'll tell you what, let's try something. And with, you know, one random shuffle, we'll go into Goose Chase or Hands Off or whatever. And it just wrecks people, you know? It completely destroys magicians, you know? Hard to fool magicians. And... Um, yeah, it's 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 beautiful to watch. It's just using the using the, the the main deception that we all love and obsess over. Just using it yeah. against them. Just what? It. Just using it against them, just in a yeah. completely obvious yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, it's very powerful. Very oh, powerful. I love that. Anyway, well, it's great to see you, chaps. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're well. I'm glad you're healthy. Um, stay, stay good. Stay, stay sane. And I, you know, following on from what I was saying, as, as you said, actually, you know, today more than ever, this, our mental diets, our emotional diets, when, when we're all living in echo chambers it, without distraction is so key. And, you know, winding back from all the rubbish that's being spewed out online, and it's just the most important thing. So, um, yeah, less, I think in all of this, a little bit less is, is definitely definitely more and i say this yeah. from day four of my quarantine so i have not left this hotel room in four days so i i know the value of of not <laughs> not that's so you know going to bananas i was trying to find a uh yeah no i've got a book on my shelf do less achieve more there, there you, go. you go there you go no very true very true it's everywhere but uh yeah no well great to see you let's we we stay we stay connected and yeah if anybody wants um I don't know, uh, further info or, or I can send pictures of the, the table set up. Um, just let me know and I'll, I'll send them over. hundred percent. Well, thank you. Thanks. Honestly, 
thank you no, for, great to thank you for being here and uh yeah i know there's so many people which are gonna gonna resonate with so many different parts of this i hope so i hope so so anyway, All right. you take care. Oh, you enjoy Mumbai. Take care, chaps. Thank you. Yeah, have a lovely Thank you day. Bye-bye. So hey, it's Aidan here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player. That way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way. Also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called the Magician's Business Group and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside. So to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you straight there or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum, and we'll send you all of the details.